Aloha and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always plenty of entertainment. Well, if you follow me on social media, you'll know that I have made it to Kona on the big island of Hawaii. I arrived on Friday and have been loving every minute of this adventure so far. Even the jet lag has been embraced and endured with a smile. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here as part of the Ironman World Championship announcing team. I have for a long time dreamed of one day making it to the finish line of the Ironman World Championships in Kona as an announcer and this week that dream will come true not once but twice with two days of World Championship racing ahead on Thursday and Saturday. It's a busy week here for the team of announcers of which there are six of us. Mike Riley, Paul Kay, Tom Zebart, and Eric Gilsonen along with myself and Carissa Galloway. Yes, we have a second female announcer in Kona which is awesome. With lots of events taking place across the week, aside from the race days, there is plenty of talking to be done. I have already announced the Kona Town Fun Run and the Hoala Training Swim. The Dip and Dash took place on Sunday, the Parade of Nations on Monday, with the Welcome Banquet on Tuesday evening. It's all go. And I can't wait for both race days and the fun we will have and the true inspiration we will see out on the course from the thousands of athletes aiming to cross that Ironman World Championship finish line. It will undoubtedly be very emotional for many reasons, not least the fact that the voice of Ironman Mike Riley, friend, mentor and great ally, announces his final Ironman World Championship this week before hanging up his Ironman microphone at the end of this season. I have no doubt that we will give him a huge send-off and that there will be plenty of laughter and the odd tear as we celebrate and acknowledge his many years as an integral part of the Ironman Ohana and his dedication to the athletes and their finish line dreams all over the world. Best of luck to everyone racing this week. It's going to be epic. And a big shout out this week to the Irish contingent of athletes and their spectators and supporters who are here in Kona. Team Ireland is well represented with 42 athletes here to race, the largest number of Irish athletes ever to take on the World Championship here in Kona. It's been great to not only see the Irish athletes and spectators and supporters out and about, but there are plenty of familiar faces to be found on Digme Beach and up and down Ali'i Drive. After Kona, I'm off to Tempe, Arizona and Sacramento in California for two more races before heading back to Utah for the Ironman 70.3 World Championship. I'm in the States for the month, but if the last few days are anything to go by, the time is going to fly by. Before we get into this week's very special episode with Nathan Ford, a big shout out to our partners in USN who continue to support the show. I brought some CBD muscle gel and body moisturiser with me for the trip and I was never so glad to have a shower and use the products after almost 40 hours in transit from Galway to Hawaii. If you haven't checked out the products, find them on www.newasan.com and use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount on your purchase. Now to this week's episode. This is a very special one. In 2021, Nathan Ford was a top age group triathlete whose future in sport was both exciting and promising. The fastest age group athlete at Ironman Wales in 2019, he had previously raced in Wales in 2017, finishing third in his age group and stamping his ticket to Kona for 2018. He raced his first Ironman in Austria in 2016 and had gone from strength to strength in the sport of triathlon, making full use of his background as a competitive swimmer in his multi-sport endeavours. In August 2021, Nathan was leading the British National Triathlon Championships when he suffered life-changing injuries in an accident during the cycling portion of the race. 
The injuries sustained were so severe it was touch and go on the side of the road immediately after the accident and indeed it was touch and go for Nathan for the first few weeks in hospital as he embarked on an incredible journey of recovery and rehabilitation. Told by doctors that he would never walk again, the prognosis for Nathan was bleak. He spent over half a year in hospital with 14 weeks of that time spent in a halo brace. At times the will to give up was stronger than the will to survive but somehow he managed to pull himself out of the darkness. Inspired by his wife Catherine, his athletes on Team NFT and the huge outpouring of support received from at home and abroad, Nathan found the courage and strength to fight back, to fight for his life and to fight to be the best version of himself for the future, whatever that future might hold. Fast forward to a little over a year after his accident and Nathan is working hard, extremely hard, every single day to make improvements to his mobility, his dexterity and to aspects of his life that many of us take for granted. His tenacity, fighting spirit and determination have paid off as he is every day defying the odds and is quite literally a miracle man. His strong athlete mindset driving him forward bit by bit every single day. This is a fascinating episode of the podcast and may for some be upsetting in parts. In fact, I became quite emotional during the chat. Nathan is simply incredible. There are few words that can do him justice in describing what he has achieved in his fight for his life. He really is a true inspiration. If you would like to support Nathan's journey to recovery and help him, please check out his GoFundMe page on the link in the notes on the show and spare whatever you can to help him along the road to recovery. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Nathan Ford, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. It has been so amazing to see you in both Swansea and in Tenby in recent weeks and months. Tell me, where are you today and what are you up to? Hi, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, so I'm actually up in Bristol at the moment. Uh, I'm in an intensive rehab um, physiotherapy block. So I'm doing sort of three to four hours of physio a day, Monday to Thursday, uh, which is quite tiring. And then I get to relax at home on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I just repeat that process over and over. So it's all about sort of repetition at the moment with what I'm doing in physio. And what are you doing in physio? Where's the focus on? The focus is on everything, really. Um, we break it down into certain blocks. So one week I might be focusing on my lower limbs, walking, balance, things like that. And then the next week I'd be focusing on my upper limbs, so trying to get some hand function back, um, working on my right side, which is the weaker side of my body. Uh, so, yeah, we, we basically switch back and forth between upper limb and lower limb rehab. And it's... It's working well. Um, I'm seeing good, good progress, and as long as I'm seeing good progress, then I'll, I'll carry on. So um, I'm, I'm okay with that at the moment. What was it like uh, seeing all of your athletes for Team Nathan Ford racing in Swansea and in Tenby in the past couple of weeks? It must have been very special. It was, yeah. I mean, if you asked me sort of twelve months ago when this accident happened that I'd be in Swansea and Tenby watching um, all the athletes racing. I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I would have thought you were nuts. So to be there in person and even to be able to stand to watch them as well was very, very special. And it was quite emotional as well. So, yeah, I, I was over the moon. I, I have to say, when I saw that photo of you and Catherine in Wales at the barrier, I just thought, wow, this guy is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, we always sort of, I say always, I've only been to watch it once because I've competed twice um but the time that we did go in 2018 that's where we stood because you can watch sort of the swimmers coming out of the swim and then 
going back out on the bike um, in the opposite direction. So when I was there, I wanted to stand because I wanted to see the athletes that I coach running past and I can spot them quite clearly because of the kit. Um, and because Catherine was in sort of bright yellow as well, they were able to spot her. And the response that we had when the athletes saw me, they were, when I was standing, they were like, Jesus Christ, they were almost stopping. And I was like, no, carry on, carry on. Uh, so I think that gave them a, a real boost as well. Um, and yeah, that, it was a really special moment that was. Now, Nathan, for lots of my listeners, they'll know who you are. We've jumped right into talking a little bit about your life now, but there's a lot of listeners that may not know your story. So if it's okay with you, can we go back to pre-accident time and talk about maybe your background in sport and your background in triathlon? Because if I'm not mistaken, were you potentially looking at maybe a pro card at some point because your triathlon career was going in such a fantastic upward trajectory. You were the the overall age group champion in Wales in 2019. You were absolutely flying it as an athlete. So let's let's talk about your background a little bit before we get into life since your accident, if that's okay with you. Yeah, so I was a swimmer originally, um, competing at quite a high level for maybe like five, five to eight years. Um, once my swimming career finished, I needed a new focus and something to, to aim for. And triathlon sort of came around um i entered my first ironman in 2016 in austria and i just did that to raise money for brain tumor research my grandfather passed away from a brain tumor so i wanted to raise money um for that charity uh i competed um in austria completed it in i think it was like 9 30 something um and then it sort of spiraled from there I entered, like you said, Wales in 2019. I did it previously in 2017. I managed third in my age group there. Uh, got my Kona slot as well in that race. Um, and it sort of just spiralled from there, really. Um, in regards to the pro card, I didn't really go in search for it. But if it came along, then that would have been the icing on the cake, really. Um, and it was going in the right direction. I was actually where I had my accident was the British Championships up in Aberfeldy. And I think that was a sort of a, like a gateway race where if you were to win overall um, age group in that race, then you would have got your pro card. And yeah, unfortunately, I did have the accident there. Um, and that's that's where I find myself today. Talk to me about the accident. I know you returned to the spot where the accident happened, but you still don't know what happened. No, I've got I've got no idea. Um, originally when I woke up, I didn't remember anything from the race at all. Little bits have come back in the meantime since then. And up to this point now, I remember the whole swim. So I remember getting in the water, swimming around the, the, around the lake, um, getting out into transition, getting onto my bike. And that's where my memory stops. So as soon as I get on the bike, there's nothing from there. And that's the reason why I went up to Scotland to see if it would, if I'd get any memory back from, from the race. So I drove the bike course. Um, Catherine was pointing out certain bits of the bike course that may have rejogged my memory a little bit, but nothing at all. Um, we went back to the crash site and still to this day, I'm trying to go over every scenario in my head as to how it might have happened, but there's nothing there at all. And I think the brain is such a such a clever such a clever tool. It it sort of protects you from um, what might have happened. 
whether anything will come back in the future, I don't know. Um, but if you if you were to see the crash site, then I think I've, I've put a photo up on my Instagram, and you can see that the area it was, it was a really flat area. I actually landed on a patch of grass. The damage sustained to me externally, there was nothing, no scratches, no cuts, no bruises. Um, the brunt uh, of the accident I've taken is right on the top of my head. And that's the only damage that we can see is from the helmet. And it's sort of like a, maybe a two inch uh, dent right in the top of my helmet. So it, it looks like I've gone over the top of the handlebars somehow and landed right smack on the top of my head. Um, but as far as the memory goes, there's there's nothing there at all. Well, you'd wonder if your brain is actually trying to protect you by not letting you mm. remember, in a way, like the trauma of what happened to you. You mentioned that you think that you landed on your on your head and that that's what the helmet is signifying. So what were the injuries that you sustained? Because I know that it was pretty much life or death on the side of the road on the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I spoke to the first athlete that came across me. Um, I won't name his name just in case he doesn't want to be mentioned, but he's a top age group athlete himself. And I spoke to him on the phone and he came across me first of all. And I was sort of laying laying on the road, um, my body in the grass, my head out onto the road. And he just came across me and he saw my face was like completely blue I was foaming at the mouth bubbles coming out and then he thought Christ this is this is serious so he stopped he went back to get the marshal the marshal came back down um, and at that point another gentleman who was in the race but his race was over due to a mechanical he was actually a doctor um, and I was so so lucky that he was there as well because he started to do CPR um, and there's no doubt in my mind that that guy saved my life along with so many other people as well that the athlete that came across me he also saved my life if he wasn't there um or if he was maybe two or three minutes later then that could have been it i could have been i could have been dead um so it was absolutely life or death not from that point but all the way up to maybe two or three weeks after the accident as well they weren't sure if i was going to survive or not so I, I always hear people say it's quite funny actually that they have like a, a bike accident or they have some kind of accident and they say, oh, I almost died. But you sort of just take that with a pinch of salt. But this accident, I did actually almost die. And I only sort of came to realize that recently that how serious it actually was. Um, and looking back, like I said, I've got so many people to thank and, people that saved my life. Um, I'm, I've always said as well, I'm very unlucky, but very lucky at the same time. Because I'm very, obviously very unlucky that this actually happened. Um, but I'm very lucky that these people were there at the right time, at the right place. If that gentleman hadn't had a mechanical, then would I be here speaking to you today? Probably not. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite a scary time. Is it difficult to talk about it, Nathan? Um, Sometimes, yeah, it brings back some some emotions, um, but I don't mind speaking about it. I think it's healthy to speak about it. If I was to sort of keep everything inside and not express my feelings and not talk to people, then that could 
yeah, I mean, depression and things like that could set in that way. So I think it's healthy to talk about it. And I don't mind speaking about it to people. And if people are interested, then I don't mind like telling my story. So I'm I'm okay with with talking about things. Yeah. Talk to me about the first few weeks in hospital and I know they put you into um, an induced coma to help with the recovery and, and the trauma and that. So talk to us a little bit about after that and and what was the, like, were there surgeries? What was the prognosis at the time? Give us a little bit of an insight into what life was like lying there, um, wanting to know what was going to happen with your life. Yeah, so the, the accident happened up in Scotland. So I was so far away from home, sort of like nine to 10 hour drive for my family. And the only person that was there was Catherine and we actually had our dog with us as well so when she was told actually when she was told that I had an accident she thought oh what an idiot he's broken his collarbone or worst case he's broken his leg um but she was actually told that it's not a serious accident uh so take your time get into the hospital um so she was like ringing around her mum ringing around my parents saying oh look Nathan's had an accident I'm just on my way to the hospital and when she got there, she was thought, oh, hang on, I've got the dog and I'm not allowed to take the dog inside. So she started panicking then that she wasn't going to be able to get into the hospital. Luckily enough, and I don't know how this has happened, but Catherine's mum has a relative in Dundee. I don't know how. Um, and she hasn't spoken to this relative for like 14 years, but she came to the hospital to look after our dog, Archie. So Catherine was able to get in. Um, she came into the hospital and that's when she realised how serious it was. And sort of for the first maybe two to three weeks, it was touch and go whether I was going to survive or not, um, even make it through the night. So the doctors told us to phone all of my family, all of Catherine's family, to make the journey up to Dundee to almost say your goodbyes, if you will. Um, and that was obviously a scary time for them. I don't remember a lot from, from the period in Scotland, and I was there for four weeks. but. The prognosis was was bad, um, and that's putting it lightly. Uh, like I said, they didn't know if I was going to survive or not, or if I was going to make it through the night. So that was obviously a scary time for everybody involved. Luckily, I was, well, initially I had a brain injury as well. So I had like a, a bolt put into my head to relieve the pressure. Um, I also had a, a little stroke, so a bleed on the brain. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people know that as well. Um so a lot of things happened. Like if you saw me in the hospital and one of my best mates came up to see me um, and he was looking at me in the hospital bed and he thought, how is this so serious? He, lo he looks absolutely fine. I was just laying there. Obviously I had tubes and wires coming out of me, but he said, looking at me, you just looked as if you were sleeping. There's no external injuries, nothing to say, oh, wow, this guy's fighting for his life because there wasn't um, all of the injuries were obviously internal so you couldn't see them um and as far as surgeries go i i've had i think i've had like three or four different surgeries along the way um so after the brain injury was sort of um it wasn't as bad as it was initially initially uh, thought they, that it was um they concentrated then on trying to fix the spinal cord, fix the neck. So I broke my neck in two places. I broke my back in two places. Um, but the, obviously the biggest uh, injury was damage to the spinal cord. I'm very lucky that 
it was what's called an incomplete injury. So an incomplete injury is where the spinal cord is damaged, but it's only damaged slightly. Um, a complete injury is where the spinal cord is, is severed, so it's cut straight through the spinal cord. And if I was to have a complete injury at the level that I had, so my level was C1 and C2, which the C1 and C2 vertebrae is the highest vertebrae in the neck. It's basically in the bottom of your skull. If I was to have a complete injury at that point, I wouldn't be able to breathe for the rest of my life by myself. I wouldn't be able to move any part of my body bar my head. I'd have to have 24-hour care. Um, I'd be probably be in hospital for the rest of my life. So when I think of that, I'm like, Jesus, I'm very, very lucky. Um, so I, I've got an incomplete injury. I'm never going to get full range of movement back in my body because that's not, that's not possible. Um, but I can work as hard as I can to get as much movement back as I can um, through my physiotherapy. Surgeries, I've had a metal plate put in the side of my neck, uh, and that is to fix the, the vertebrae, the C1 and C2 vertebrae. Unfortunately, that plate didn't work. It slipped uh, whilst it was in my neck, and I was given two options then to have further surgery, which would mean that I would be fixed uh, at my C1 and C2 vertebrae, so I wouldn't be able to move my neck side to side it would be fixed there for the rest of my life. Or the second option was to have the halo. The, the surgeon said to me, I need to explain what a halo is um, and what it looks like. And I was like, it's okay, I know. And the only reason I know and how every other triathlete knew is because of Tim Don. Um, I'm watching his documentary about when he had the halo. So I said to the, the surgeon, oh, look, I know what a halo is. and I'll take the halo. And he was like, looked at me a bit funny. Um, he's like, I, I haven't explained what it is yet. And I was like, yes, okay, Tim Don's had one. If it's okay for Tim Don, then it's okay for me. So I'll take that. Um, so I was in the halo for 14 weeks, a bit longer than um, they initially said to me, uh, just because they needed my my neck to, to fuse in, in, in the position that it was. Um, so yeah, that, th those are the surgeries that I've had. I've had a couple of other like minor surgeries as well along the way, um, but yeah, that, that that that's as far as it goes. So explain to us what the halo did or how it restricted any movement that you might have had. Like, were you literally lying in one position for those fourteen weeks? Yeah, I was lying in the same position for fourteen weeks. I was able to get up into a chair. At that point, I didn't have any movement in my arms or my legs, or limited movement in my legs. Um, what the doctor said initially was I'd never move my legs again um, I might be able to have a little bit of movement in my left arm uh, but that's as far as it would go they said that I would never breathe independently again and that was really scary because that would have meant I'd be on a ventilator for the rest of my life and as soon as they said that to me and my family I had a chat with Catherine and I, was, I said that can't happen I, I can't let that happen because I need my independence. Um, so I didn't really take what they were saying. Um, I thought, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm going I'm to fight as hard as I can to prove you wrong. Um, so the, the halo is, is basically, you've got four sort of pin sights um, into the front and the back of your skull, um, and it gets screwed into your skull. 
uh, and it just sort of fixes you in that position until the the vertebrae sort of f- fixes itself, which is yeah, it's it's really strange how it works. Um, but I wasn't able to obviously move very much when that when I had that halo on, but it did the job. Um, so I was I was happy with that result. The only thing I didn't obviously it's quite painful having screws into your skull. Uh, but every week the surgeons had to come around and tighten the screws. And obviously my level of injury, anything above the level of injury, I have full sensation. So obviously the, the the skull, I've got full sensation. And you can imagine somebody screwing a screw into your skull. You know, the, the, like the threads of a screw, you could feel the threads turning. So that was quite painful every week. Every Monday I dread the surgeons coming around and, I tried to have a bit of a laugh about it when they came in. I was like, oh, not you again. Um, but it, I know it needed to be done in order for me to um, have, you know, my, my neck in a stable condition. So uh, I was I was okay with it. How did you keep your brain occupied? Oh. Like, I, I can't imagine sitting still for like, I, I can barely sit still for an hour Never mind <laughs> longer because you were a lot longer in hospital than, than 14 weeks. Um, it's very difficult because where I was, I was in a room. I was lucky enough, actually, that I had a room to myself. Other patients were in rooms with five, six to eight other people. Um, I was lucky that I was in a, in a room by myself. So it was a positive and a negative. The positive, I suppose, I had my own space. Um, the negative was... I was in a room on my own. I couldn't speak to anyone else. Obviously, I couldn't get up and move around the hospital to see anyone. And you're just sort of staring at four walls and a ceiling. Well, more more, more so the ceiling because I was laying on my back. Um, and you can imagine the things that go around in your head. A lot of negative things, thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't really want to be living like this. But I had to think of my family and my friends um, people that had come to see me, although visiting was quite restricted due to COVID, I was very thankful that Katrin was able to come in and see me every day. And that lifted my spirits massively, just even just seeing her for five, 10 minutes. Um, but I also, in the back of my mind, thought what I do want to achieve in my life. And that was a positive as well. So I'm a triathlon coach and I've been coaching before this accident. And I had to think of the athletes that had sort of invested their time in me and I wanted to repay them, even though I won't be able to go out on a bike ride with them or be there for training sessions. I can be there mentally for them um, and emotionally for them. And that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from this. So I knew that people were relying on me to get better. And that was really a huge motivating factor for me whilst lying in hospital. And I wanted to get out of there as soon as I could. So I knew that working hard every day in physio, even doing my own physio in the room where I could um, in order to speed up the process, that was huge. Um, And just trying to be as positive as you can in a really shit situation. Um, That's how I looked forward and that's how I I, I got to, to where I was. Really shit situation. It was a lot worse than a really shit situation. I think you're kind of sugarcoating it there. Just a bit, yeah. It was uh it was obviously the worst time of my life. Um and 
I think depression did set in quite severely when I was there. I was speaking to a psychologist, um, which did help uh, as I was going through. And I never really believed in all of that psychology sort of side of things. But it's, it's a big eye-opener for me going through this, that it really does help speaking to people. And like we just said, that speaking to people does help um, and it's healthy. And I'd encourage anybody in any situation that they're going through to just even you don't have to seek professional help, just speak to family or friends um, and people that you know and people that you trust. And it does really help and it gets sort of a big weight off your chest by speaking to people. So just go out and speak to people if you're, if you're struggling with anything. Uh, do you think that the fact that you were so dedicated and committed to your sport and your life as a triathlete, that that has now spilled into building a new future? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very lucky that I was an athlete before this accident because the athlete in us wants to get the best out of you. You want to get the best out of yourself. Um, and I think seeing other people in hospital, they were, you know, really down and almost given up on things and no athlete wants to give up when you go into a race or a training session you want to get the best out of yourself and you want to get the best out of that session um, and I treated this rehab all the way through um, this journey as a training session and I want to get the best out of myself in this situation it's not the same as a, as a sport but that's the way I'm looking at it so I'm lucky that you know the athlete mentality um and you want to strive to get the best out of out of everything that you do. Um, I've t- I've taken that forward, yeah, for sure. Mm. You're kind of training for the rest of your life, as in for the mm. next stage of what your life will be, really, aren't you? Yeah, it, I mean, I think I'm going to be going through this for the rest of my life. I'm going to be going through some sort of rehab um, for the rest of my life. And yeah, I'm looking at it that way, that this is my training session now. I don't know what the end goal is, but I'm working towards whatever that may be. You've got to break, just like in training sessions when you do for a triathlon, you've got to break it down into certain sections. Um, and that's what I'm doing uh, during this rehab now, yeah. You mentioned that initially um, the doctors had said you might not walk, you have limited mobility across your body generally from the accident. So talk to us about where you're at now, because you're just over a year on from the accident and you really are a miracle man. Yes, it, it seems that way. Um, so where I find myself now, I'm up on my feet, I'm walking around. Uh, I've had to go before through continue, different... What, what was that like, getting on your feet for the very first time, before you continue on to, the, to answer that previous question? It was really difficult, actually, getting on my feet for the first time, because I was bed-bound for, I think, maybe three months um, post-accident. So you can imagine laying down flat on your back for three months and then being able to even sit up on the side of the bed. You've got to monitor your blood pressure because your blood pressure drops straight away. Um, And then progressing that up to standing on your feet. Balance is absolutely out the window, so you've got no balance whatsoever. You're in a standing frame, which helps you stand. And you've got to build it up slowly, so get your body used to being in those positions like I said, for the, for the blood pressure kind of sort of. Um, and then once you're on your feet, because I don't have a lot of sensation through the bottom of my feet, it's really strange. Um, but I remember in physio, actually, when I was in hospital, standing for the first time without any help. 
And that was a huge, huge moment for me. Even though I had maybe four or five physios standing around just in case I fell. I think I think it was for like two or three seconds I stood on my own. Um, I think I put a photo on my Instagram actually and I'm just beaming from, from year to year. Um, so that was a huge moment for me. And I've progressed that on from there. So it's just taking small steps. Um, and that's what I'm doing now is taking small steps. And I'm able to now walk around the house independently with a crutch, um, which is big. I've got a few different aids that I use. So I've got like an FES um, machine, which is electrodes on my leg, which helps to lift my foot off the floor on the right side. The left leg is actually quite strong. Um, not anywhere near normal, but it's quite strong. So I just need a bit of help with that right side. But like I said, I'm walking around the house now independently. I don't need any help. Um, and I'm working hard on that every day to, you know, achieve goals that I've got in my head. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm working hard every day to achieve those. Okay, so that, that's just incredible. Like to think that you were told, you know, you'd never walk again and then you take those first steps and now you're you're walking around the house. I mean, that's huge. And, and again, I come back to that photograph of you in Wales with Catherine, a, a very special moment and a very special day. Um, talk to me again, come back to the question that I asked originally about where you are now, I guess, really. So you're mobile to a certain degree around the house. What about your um your right and left side in terms of using your hands and daily tasks and things like that? Is that still all a big struggle or are you seeing improvements every day through the work that you're doing? I'm definitely seeing improvements every day. Uh, at the moment, if you sort of draw a line from your head down to your feet, my left side is a lot stronger than my right side. My left leg, like I said, is probably the strongest limb that I've got. My left arm is not bad at all. I've got function in my hand, my fingers, my arm. I've got limited sort of range of movement in my arm. But that's, like I said, that's improving every day as well. The biggest struggle that I've got is that my right arm, I don't really have any movement in it at all. So doing day-to-day tasks like getting dressed, trying to put socks and shoes on, doing that with one hand, but doing it with one hand that doesn't have any sensation um, and the dexterity in my fingers isn't great. So doing those kind of tasks is really difficult and really time-consuming. Um, and the biggest issue that I have at the moment is the frustration with everything. So everything is frustrating, um, from brushing your teeth to trying to put a T-shirt on, tying up a shoelace is just impossible. I, I don't know if anybody's tried tying a shoelace up with one hand, but... It, it just it just doesn't happen. So I need help with those kind of things. Um, but every day, I sort of try to time myself now with getting dressed myself. And that's coming down every day. So the more I do it, like you do in a training session again, the more you do it, the more repetitions you get in, the easier it becomes, the faster you become, the fitter you become. There's that athlete mindset coming back out to the fore again straight away. Absolutely, yeah. And um, yeah, we, I just got to treat it like that. And I, 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 it's, it's funny because I, I don't know any other person that sort of times themselves getting dressed, but I, I need certain goals and targets to aim for. Um, and if I can beat those goals and targets, then I know I'm improving and I know I'm getting better. So that, those are the kind of things that I'm doing, yeah. And, and you think back to a little under a year ago and, you know, you wouldn't have even been contemplating doing any of these things. 
No way. I mean, I thought that I would have had to have a carer or multiple carers in my house doing these kind of things for me. And I'm just so, so thankful that that's not the case. Um, but, but again, like Catherine is a huge help to me as well in these kind of, these kind of situations. Um, and without her, then I probably would have to have some kind of care and some kind of help from a, a, an outside person. Um, but having her there by my side, supporting me emotionally, physically, in every possible way, um, yeah, I'm I'm really thankful to her. And how has she coped with this big change to your lives now? Incredibly well. Um, I don't know how she does it, to be honest, because some days I feel really down and depressed and you think back at, well, not even back, but you think it forward about my life in the future and it's really scary and emotionally it's really hard and really draining. But she she always seems to be there to pick me up. And she, like I, I've said it before, she's my rock and without her here, there's no way I could go through this alone. Um, so she's always there to, to pick me up and tell me that it's going to be okay. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I do get quite emotional speaking about it because yeah, I just I just love her so much. I think a lot of people love you, Nathan. Aside from Catherine, you could see that community outpouring of love and support for you when the the accident happened. You really are a huge inspiration to to people not only at home but around the world and watching your journey. So that must I'm gonna get emotional here now myself. <laughs> It must really warm your heart and give you hope for the future, like to continue to fight, to continue to battle on, to continue to break the barriers that, you know, doctors said were never going to be possible. And here you are and you continue to strive for excellence and improvements. And every single day is a fight, but every single day you're getting better. Yeah. And I've got so many people to thank for that. I mean, the response we had when I had the accident from the triathlon community was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I didn't expect anything like that at all. I had messages from people like Lionel Sanders, Cameron Wirth, Geraint Thomas, the Welsh cyclist, and people like that seeing my story and taking an interest in my story was really, really touching. Um, and the triathlon community have all come together, not just in South Wales, but all across the UK, all across the world. Um, they've raised so much money for me in order to help me with future rehab sessions. And without their help and without their donations, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I've, there's so many people I, I've, I have to thank and I've sent messages to in response to, you know, all the donations that, that I've received. And I received messages from people in Australia, Japan, and it's just, it's crazy how people over that part of the world have heard about my story and heard about my accident. And if I can help people in any way moving forward that have been in certain situations similar to mine, then I'm more than happy to help them. I've had phone calls with not not really sporting people, but people that are in hospital um, that are going through spinal cord injuries. And they've taken an interest in my story and they've sort of wanted a bit of help on how I've coped with things um, and how I've 
managed to get to where I am today. So I want to give back to everybody that's helped me in that way by helping other people that are in situations. Um, and I think that's really important. I think there's two things that, that come to mind um, uh, for me chatting with you is that one, what happened to you could happen to any of us at any point out on the bike, um, whether we're a leisure cyclist or a racer or a triathlete, it could happen to any of us in a split second and our lives can be completely changed. And the other thing I think, Nathan, is that you give people hope. You're giving people hope. You mightn't feel like it every day, but you are absolutely giving people hope. And um, for somebody who might be going through something similar, um, it must give them a sense of, of of hope as well that, you know, they may recover, they may get to where you're at. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but they're the two things that really stand out to me while I listen to you talk about your journey. And I think you've nailed it on the head there. I mean, only a couple of days ago, Cat Matthews got hit off a bike oh. in Texas. And when I saw that story and I heard of it, I just felt sick to my stomach. And I thought... I think all of us did. I actually do still feel a little bit sick about it. Yeah, it's it just happens so easily and it's happening more and more out there. Through no fault of her own, she got hit by, I think it was an elderly gentleman that turned into her. And you, I saw the photo that she posted and she had blood all over her face and a neck brace. And I thought, oh my God, this has happened again. Thankfully and fortunately, I think she's going to be okay. And I think she'll, she'll make a full recovery. But these things are happening too often now. Um, it was strange actually because a year to the day that I had my accident, we had a phone call from uh, an athlete that I coach from his partner and she phoned and said he's been in an accident and we thought oh god it sounded serious and he got hit off his bike by an elderly woman again through no fault of his own and he sustained serious injuries like cat matthews he's going to be okay he'll make a recovery but i just felt sick again by hearing that and it's happening too often now more and more and it's it's really scary but these are the risks I suppose we take as athletes and triathletes um, and you just got to be so so careful out there treat everybody else on the road like they're idiots mm. um, but don't let it sort of get in the way of your training don't let it put you off because one thing I've learned from this is that you need to live your life to the full every single day and things like this shouldn't stop you and shouldn't put you off from from taking up sport and taking up triathlon because it's such a great sport and you get so many highs from from competing in a sport like this I don't want it to put anybody off at all and your team around you team Nathan Ford are certainly putting the name Nathan Ford on the boards <laughs> not only in the UK but but further afield and uh, Ben Goodfellow, he is, you know, he's a superstar in the making. I absolutely think he's a, an absolute yeah. legend, such a great guy and a great athlete. But all the other athletes that I've met throughout the year, this year, they've just been incredible. You must be so proud of what you've created with that team and and both you and Catherine um, together as a team, what you've created. Yeah, I mean, proud is probably the best word to describe that. Um, I set this team nft up five years ago now just gone five years to the day actually 
Um, and it was initially to start a team, not even a team, but just to help a few friends in their training, give them pointers and tips, mainly on swimming because that was my background. And it's, I'm really proud of how how far we've gone with this team. But I'm so thankful for two people actually for for obviously for Catherine for being by my side and helping me run the team, but also um, one of my best friends and a guy that coaches for me as well, Mark Rabiotti. Without him, during my accident, this team wouldn't be here anymore. So I'm so, so thankful to him for sort of taking the reins and running the team for me whilst I was in hospital for eight months. Um, and without him there, like I said, this team wouldn't be here. Um, and now we've got, we coach, I mean, a wide range of, of abilities. So from beginners, people taking up their first triathlon, all the way up to people like Ben Goodfellow, who is top, top age group athlete, got so much potential, it's quite scary. And we're just waiting for his perfect race to happen. And it's only going to be a matter of time. He's had some great results this season. Uh, I mean, winning Staffordshire, 70.3, winning Swansea, 70.3, fourth overall at Bolton in his first Ironman. And we're just waiting for that perfect result for him to happen. And I'm sure it won't be long. He's got the 70.3 Worlds coming up in, in Utah and hopefully that, that will be the race for him. But he's such a great guy and we've sponsored him for this year um, and hopefully again for next year. And he's seeing some some good results. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's happy with how his season's going. Before we move on, uh, I wanted to ask you, who has been your biggest inspiration since the accident? Oh, that's a really tough question. Um, I take so much inspiration from a lot of people. Um, I mean, I've been in contact with people that have been in a similar situation to me. So people like David Smith, um, who's a Scottish athlete, and his mindset is he's such a strong-minded athlete. Um, he went through a spinal tumour um, and... Not only once did he go through it, I think he's been through it four times and it's knocked him back, right back to square one, four times. So, the, I mean, I can't even imagine going through this, this again, let alone once, but four times is just incredible. So he is a huge inspiration to me. Um, people like Claire Danson, um, who was, again, a top age group athlete. She got hit by a tractor um, and her mindset, again, is phenomenal and you see her today racing again in paratriathlon. So huge inspiration from her. Obviously, Catherine is, like my, like I said, my rock. Um, and without her, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And all of the athletes that I coach and all of the other athletes that are out there, I take huge inspiration from them and seeing how hard they work in their training sessions, um, seeing how hard they work when they're out on the course. That's really motivating for me. And they've helped me more than they'll ever know. I don't think they, they realise how much they are helping me through this process. Um, and I'm just so thankful that I've got that coaching background and I'm able to coach these athletes because my my journey as an athlete I know is over now, but I'm still involved in triathlon. And I think without that coaching, I wouldn't have any place in triathlon. I'd just be maybe a spectator. So I've got that I got that to be thankful for. And can I ask, 
what is your hope for the future, Nathan? Um, I've got a few goals and targets that I want to achieve. Obviously, I want to build NFT as big as I can and help as many athletes through um, through their journey as I can on a personal level. And I don't even know if this is possible, but I'd love to do a park run. Um, <laughs> at the moment, I'm maybe walking through what, 300, 400 meters um, before I start to get a bit tired and a bit, bit fatigued. But in the future, I'd love to be able to do a, it'd be a, more of a park walk, but three miles is a long way. Um, and before this accident, I thought, oh, park run, yeah, that's easy. But this is a monumental task for me. Um, I don't know if it's going to be achievable, but that's the goal that I've got and that's the goal that I'm going to aim for. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to work hard every single day to try and try and get there one day. It's all about perspective, really, isn't it? Oh, 100%, yeah. And everything gets put into perspective when something like this happens. You take for granted things you do on a day-to-day basis, um, like even drinking a cup of tea. Uh, it's, it's really strange that I'm saying that because you wouldn't even think about that before. But now I've got to put so much concentration into doing tasks like that. Um, it's really difficult. But like I said, it's getting easier and easier every day. Um, and the more I do it, the easier it's going to be. So carry on working hard. Now, this episode is going to be released in the week of Kona. Kat Matthews is out of the equation now, but I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for your top three predictions for oh. the male race and the top three predictions for the women's race. Oh, it's going to be really tough. I mean, you've got the two Norwegians in there now on the men's side. Um, and I don't think you can count those two out, especially Christian Blumenfeld, who is the current Ironman world champion from St. George. I think he's got to be up there for one of the favourites. So I think if you can ask me for the top three on the men's side, I'm going to have to say Christian Blumenfeld first. Um, I really hope Lionel Sanders can get on the podium again. Um, he had second place in St. George, so I'm going to put him second. And I'm going to, I think it's really difficult because my sort of hero in triathlon was Jan Frodeno and I'm just absolutely gutted that he's not there and I'm hoping that he's going to come back next year to try and have one more race in Kona. But if he was fit and well, then I would have put him first. Um, but third place... Maybe Braden Curry. Um, he had a good result again in St. George. Um, it's really difficult because there's so many contenders. Um, and on the women's side, I would have loved to have seen Kat Matthews on top spot. Um, I think she was in great shape and it's just a shame that this has happened. But you can't count out Daniela Reef. She's always going to be up there. Um, I hope Lucy Charles can get her first title. That would be special. So... I think maybe put her first, Daniela Reef second, um, and probably, oh, it's difficult for third. Um, I quite fancy Laura Phillip for third, if she can perform. Um, so yeah, I'll go with those for the top three. 
Interesting. Right. We'll have to uh, we'll have to have a quick chat once the race. Is <laughs> <over>. <laughs> um, you mentioned at the start of the show that you raced in Coda yourself. Um, what piece of advice would you give to our age group athletes who are out there? Quite a big team from the UK and from Ireland out in Kona at the moment. And I will be out there in just a couple of days time. Uh, This show obviously will be released while I'm out there. What advice would you give to the athletes? I was lucky enough to get out there a couple of weeks before the race started when I went in 2018. And I think that was really important because the heat and humidity out in Hawaii is just like no other Um, And coming from the UK, where it's now like 13, 14 degrees, to being out in Kona, that's like 35 degrees and 90, 95% humidity is a huge shock to the system. Um, I think it's really important to get out on the Kona course, if you can, to maybe not necessarily ride the whole course, but certain sections of the course, because the crosswinds out there can, can be quite brutal. I was lucky in 2018, the winds were quite low, but you've got to prepare for for being for the winds being quite high. So being out on the Kona course, on the bike course, to experience those wind conditions, even if it's a couple of days before the race, just to get used to it. Um, again, the swim course is really special. It's on the pier, um, but getting used to swimming in those conditions, because it can be quite, it can be, there can be quite a swell there as well. Um, so getting out on onto the swim course, you can even I think there's a actually a swim race a few days before the race that you can get used to the conditions out there. So I definitely recommend going out to that that swim that swim race. Um, but when you're out there, just enjoy it as much as you can because it really is a special race. It's really tough just because of the conditions, um, but just enjoy it as much as you can. Um, and that that's the whole reason why we do this sport at the end of the day we're all amateurs obviously apart from the professionals um, all the age groupers should just be doing this for fun obviously the, we've got that competitive nature in us um, and it's good to be competitive but just enjoy it and um, be be safe out there because that's that's the two things that we should sort of could do is enjoyment and be safe and the rest sort of comes with it Kona, that's the biggest stage for me is so you're in a really privileged position to be there um you're gonna have a whale of a time um yeah i hope i wish you all the best and, and good luck with it well nathan thank you so much for joining us on the show today it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to chat with you you are some man for one man i can't wait to see what the next year will bring in terms of your recovery and your rehab and God knows where we'll see you. We might still see you on a start line somewhere in uh-huh. sport, whether it's a park run or more. The very best of luck with everything. And I can't wait to see you next year, uh, hopefully at some of the races, enjoying the atmosphere and, and the fun that this sport of triathlon can bring back into your life. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the chat today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website, www.trytalkingsport.com or wherever you get your podcasts. With lots of episodes of the show now available, there's a huge back catalogue of inspiration and motivation to choose from. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please email me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.
Mahalo. 